Ahoy, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. You are listening to the July 28th Friday follow-up, and we've found ourselves in familiar territory, Harris County, Texas, for the tragic disappearance of Kay Alana Turner. This week, we heard from Kay Alana's mother, Rosa, about the handling of Kay Alana's case. It's raised a lot of emotions, as well as questions and concerns. I'm Zach Weaver, and I'm joined by the usual suspects, Bob and Janet. Thanks, Zach, and uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us in the chat on YouTube. Uh, we have a ton of questions from listeners to get through that Janet has. Before we do that, though, I want to. I, I spoke with Rosa for about a half hour today. There was a few things from the episode she wanted to correct, and then while I had her on the phone, uh, I wanted to uh, run some of these questions by her so I had better answers for you guys moving forward. First and foremost, in the episode, the way that Rosa described to me when the police broke Kealana's window out with a two by four. I took that to mean that she was sitting in the driveway when that happened, and she wanted to let me know today that, according to the police report, that happened when the, the, the police said they pulled up, and she's sitting in the driveway. They had all This is after the people were taking pictures of her. She left. She was blocked. She came back. That the police showed up, pulled up in front of her car uh, with their lights, with emergency lights going. And that she then took off, went through a fence and hit another fence and then got stuck. And and, in the police report, it was at that point that they started yelling at her to get out of the car. She was locking the door repeatedly, like like Rosa said. And uh, the officer grabbed a two by four and busted the window out. And then she that's when she then backed out away from there and took off again. So that's what it says in the police report. And Rosa wanted to make sure that it was clear that that is what it says in the police report. From what she had heard from the neighbors, all they told her was that Kaylana was just sitting in the car when they smashed the window in with the two by four. And talking with her, I wanted to be clear. I was like, so which do you, she's like, I don't know. I don't, it was kind of ambiguous the way they said it. That's the way she took it was that she was still in the driveway, but she wanted to make sure that that was clear, uh, that, that it sounds like, and, and to me, one thing I kept thinking is where the hell did they get a two by four? It makes a lot more sense that they got the two by four if she had broke a fence already, because if it was a wood fence, hmm. that there would be two by fours laying. Yeah, it seems a lot more logical. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, she wanted to make sure that that, that was accurate. And also, the uh, I mentioned that, so she went to a house and, and asked some teenager if she could sleep in the driveway. He went in and um, talked to his parents. They came back out and she was gone. Uh, and then the second house was where she was singing and and was saying, I love you to everyone. A couple things she wanted to point out with that. One was, that was not in this neighborhood. She oh, was okay. in, it was in a different neighborhood, not too far away. She called it the, the Bauer Landing neighborhood. But that happened, obviously, prior to this in another neighborhood. And also, she wasn't in her car. She got out of the car and then went up and was jiggling the handle, trying to open the door. And then she was singing and saying, I love you guys. I love everybody. Rosa and her family believe that what was going on there was maybe that Kaylana thought that she was in Austin. She thought like she thought she was at her friend's house. The that Rosa has spoken to that woman directly and has seen like the ring video from that incident. And, and that woman did call the Harris County Sheriff's Department at that point. And she had and she, she made clear that. She didn't think she was drunk or anything, but but there was something going on. She was out of it. She seemed very confused, but she was like, she was outside of her car and she was singing and she kept saying, I love you. I love everybody. And she was, and she was like, um, 
tried to open the door a couple times so that who knows exactly what was going on there clearly there was some kind of there was some kind of mental break going on there the the, the family's belief is that that is possible maybe she thought she had made it to Austin to her friend's house when she got there but then so those two those two incidents happened in the Bauer Landing neighborhood she left that neighborhood and then she ended up back in this Country Hills neighborhood and then there was of course she was parked at the Airbnb and then they asked her to move then she moved over to the driveway where this whole incident occurred so she wanted me to uh, make sure that that was clear also I'd asked her about a constable being there and and she said that that several of most of her information the police have not been very forthcoming at all with her with anything but so most of the information she has is from talking to the other neighbors that that were there and a few of them said that there was a constable there but she never got she actually said she called the constable's office and they don't have record of anybody being out there so hmm. then she thinks maybe maybe there happens to be like a, a constable that lives in the neighborhood so the person that was there was not in there in their official capacity, but was a constable. But I, but she's wanted to clear up that when I mentioned that there may have been a constable there, that's what she was told was that exactly that there may have been a constable. She'd been told that that one of the first people that were knocking on the window and taking pictures of her and stuff before she tried to leave was a constable. But that sounds like it was definitely not in an official capacity. And with that, um, I was going to ask you, Janet and Zach, like what you guys thought. But I know Janet, you've I, I know you had a really emotional hard time. With this episode, oh yeah, it's heartbreaking. I mean, every story of a, a person lost to their family and not yet found is heartbreaking. But this was—you warned us that this was going to be a difficult one. And I know from the Facebook posts that many people had the reaction I did, which was, it—it was—it's—it was extraordinarily upsetting, and it's really stayed with me. You know, that's our job, so it's rightfully so. But it's—I have not stopped thinking about it since. Yeah. The episode aired, and I think I've been trying to bring a little levity into my world. And obviously, we do a pre-show and we we have a laugh, but um, it just sits really heavy with me. And I, th- I think that's true of of every listener that I've you know read comments from and see questions mm-hmm. from. It's heartbreaking, and I I hope that there's some resolution sooner than later. I'm right there with you. It's it was a really tough one to hear. Yeah, it's so true, and I I think that the sentiment seems to be a mixture of. I'm really upset, I'm really sad, and I'm also really angry. Yeah. So can we clear up something really quick? Because I, I see this question coming up. You keep saying constable. What, what's a constable? It's a good question. I don't know. It, it's another law enforcement agency type. And, and I know there's uh, Courtney in the chat is from that area. And so she might be able to. She, she had said people will often mistake constable with sheriffs in that area. Uh, but I believe, okay, here she is. She says, Harris County is split into four precincts. Each has its own police department, which are actually constables. So that's what a constable is. Thanks, Courtney. Definition is a police officer, a peace officer with limited policing authority, typically in a small town. All right. And uh, with it, I, I know we've got a, a lot to say, but I, I saw the list, Janet, and you have a, a, a I do, I do. And questions. I'm seeing a lot of really, um, really key questions in the chat as well. I think some of them are covered by the Facebook post, but um, just quickly for Teresa, as we're still trying to kind of wrap our heads around the course, the the series of actions that happened, Teresa says, where was the fence that she hit? Seems it was right there if you think they picked up a two by four nearby. And I would add um, that earlier someone said if it couldn't have been that far away from where everyone was for them to see it happen at all when when the window was smashed with a two by four. But Teresa says, why would that be the first course of action? In reading the, the charging document, 
I want I want I want to cut Harris County a, some slack here. And that's we're looking at this and by the way, not for what happens after this. Right. But up to this point. Um we're looking at this in hindsight and that's much easier to um you know, Absolutely. You know, to to look to look at it that way. But so they they get a call that there's a strange person parked in their their driveway and they're refusing to leave. So the police pull up, park in front of there with the lights on, which is not an inappropriate response. Right. If what the charging document says is accurate, at that point, she turns and because they're now blocking the driveway, she turns and drives through a yard, through a fence, into another yard, and then it says hits another fence um, that's like a small fence. It says it's that's like has some horses in it and gets stuck there. So this is all happening in real time. Like, oh, there's somebody in the driveway. Oh shit, she's taking off. She's driving through fences. Yes. This is now this is now dangerous. Yes. They don't know why she's running. They run up to her and now they're saying, You need to stop the car. You need to get out of the car right now. I don't have any problem with any any of that. Right. Even the breaking the window is is very difficult to say I don't have a problem with it. But I'm trying to put myself in the mindset that they don't know. Who this is. They don't know why they're running. They don't know what they're going to do next. So she's in there and she is, it says that, you know, she's frantically locking the door, locking the door, and they're telling her to get out. She's locking the door, locking the door, locking the door. And so they grab the two by four and smash the window in on top. You know, you would hope they would have broke one that wasn't the one that right on top of her. But again, I will give them a pass on the fact that this is happening very quickly. And it was it went from just a routine disturbing the peace to now there's possibly a dangerous situation. So if everything in the charging document is accurate, I I I I can't say I fault them for that at that point. And of course we'll get into in a few minutes where I do fault them. And I don't know if they knew that she had attempted to leave. That's the part that makes me the most angry about this, was that she was being accused of the police were called because she refused to leave but then the neighbor the the people in the neighborhood blocked her in so they couldn't leave because they wanted the police to catch her they didn't want her to get away which is such an oxymoron because all they wanted her supposedly to do was to get away yeah there are some there are some echoes of some other cases where neighborhood folks have gotten sort of caught up in the frenzy of things and none of the things that they call that none of the incidents that this calls up for me are good um in terms of behavior of other folks but i know you know i believe that rosa said that there were neighbors who were you know like no one's saying she has a weapon no one's saying we just don't know what's going on you know that there were people who were kind of trying to mitigate but Thank you for pulling that up, Zach, because that is something that's come up. Kathy mentioned it, and then some, uh, somebody else mentioned it a moment ago, that this idea of the unlocking or locking of the doors, like, why would that be happening repeatedly rather than just locking the doors? Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, and Kathy had said, like, who was locking them? No one was unlocking them. She was in a panic from what the the reports, the police reports say, and the neighbors had told Rosa was that, you know, they're yelling at her to get out of the car, and she just keeps repeatedly hitting lock, lock, lock. No one was unlocking the door, but she was like in a complete panic at that point and just kept pushing lock over and over and over again. Right. Okay. Someone also asked just in terms of context, 
wondering if they could have seen that her lips were blue and if they could have been reacting to act, trying to access her also in part because it could, they thought it could have been a medical emergency. I don't get that impression, but... No, nobody thought it was a medical emergency. They, they all... Everybody thought that she's just some kind of delinquent or whatever, and, they, and it seems like in that neighborhood, you know, they don't take too kindly to strangers being there. Um, I don't think anybody had any sympathy for her at the beginning of this incident whatsoever. I don't think anybody was concerned about a medical issue. I think I think the assumption was that she must be high or drunk, and then the police allegedly told the people from the neighborhood that that uh, she was, you know, homeless, drug addict, and has warrants. And that's why she was fleeing. And it turns out they were just assuming that was the case because they couldn't figure out why she would be fleeing if there right. was, you know, if that wasn't the case. Which is, I mean, I think that's something that m- it makes the story hard in its own way because, you know, nobody's, including Rosa, is saying that we should throw away people who are homeless or who are drug addicts. It's not about right. that. I think it's my sense of it and what's so hard and so frustrating and so infuriating about it is that it's already devastating that this is happening at all. And then when you layer on top of it, being made to feel like you're crazy because you're trying mm-hmm. to promote the truth about the person that this is happening to um, and feeling like you're not only being not believed by law enforcement, but being actively fought against for yeah. your own convictions. It's a nightmare. I mean, that is a living nightmare. Even even if, as, which I think you were getting at, even if she was a homeless drug addict. She's a fucking person. Yeah. It does. Like, either way, I think, like, the situation should have been, how, how differently would this have went if people had approached the car with some curiosity, some empathy, if the approach was, hey, are you okay? Instead of get the hell out of my, you know, and, and again, it's, I, I just, I, I keep wanting to point out that. It's very easy in hindsight to say that. I would like to hope that people could be more kind. Certainly, there's no excuse for blocking her in when you wanted her to go, that all of it. But also, I, I just I just want to at least acknowledge that I can understand why maybe somebody was scared and jumped to conclusions, It, but it, it doesn't change the fact that it was all handled incorrectly, and it shouldn't matter if she was a drug addict, if she was homeless. She still should have been treated with some empathy. Well, that that's where I that's how I feel is is regardless of what happened, the handling after it happened is is where it is a disgrace, an absolute disgrace. Because you cannot that is someone's daughter. Your mother their mother is there in front of you. And you yeah. don't care that this person is now missing. You're only telling them that she's a homeless drug addict. You do yeah. not care that even if this person is a homeless drug addict, there is a mother frantically trying to find this person. What what infuriates me, and I don't want to get too far because I know we got a lot of questions coming up, but what infuriates me is, okay, you made some assumptions. It's not, they're not crazy assumptions to make, right? So, girl's parked in the driveway, she takes off, she's blowing through fences, she's fleeing, she must have, she must have warrants, she must have drugs. Those are, I could see why, what I'm saying, I could see why someone might make that assumption. But then her parents get there. They explained her, no, no, she has medical conditions. She's having, she's having some mental issues right now. She's not a drug addict. You can look up her record and see that she's never even, even had a speeding ticket in her entire life. At that point is when they, when they should have said, okay, 
maybe we got some, you know maybe this situation is not what we thought it was rather than digging their heels in and saying nope she's a fugitive right right Many people are asking about, I believe it was on the Facebook, the Facebook page for Kealana that the Texas Rangers are involved. Do you know more about that? Yeah. Uh, so the Texas Rangers got involved after that, that two week mark when, you know, Equisearch was trying to help and they helped actually for a little bit that first day. And then they found out, nope, she's a fugitive. There's no missing persons report, so they can't help. Texas Rangers, they also tried right away to call Texas Rangers, uh, Rosa and, and, uh, and the family, and they couldn't help because there was no missing persons case. And uh, eventually, they once there was a missing persons report filed, they did get involved because Rosa said that, I want to make sure I get this right, look at my notes. There was a search they did in June, and the Texas Rangers were there helping with that search. And she said, as far as she knows, that was their first involvement once that once it was realized this is in fact a missing persons case of course that was that was three months in so they they may have been connected to the case somehow but it was she said in june at the search was the first they were actively doing anything so that was three months in her being missing right um folks are also interested in if you have an opinion about the all of the controversy around the arrest warrant and not being able to be considered a missing person if you have one and all of that kind of back and forth um, there are people who are wondering, maybe it is better to have the warrant and the missing persons happening uh, at the same time, because that could trigger more officers being aware and knowing what to look for. Do you have any thoughts on that? I don't have an issue with them being happening simultaneously, like to say, because she broke the law, right? She did trespass across her yard. She did destroy some fences. She destroyed some property. So. Yeah. Now, the fact that they charge her with attempted aggravated assault of an officer is fucking ridiculous. First of all, she didn't touch any of them. Second of all, even from their own report, she wasn't intending to hit any of them. All it said is that one of them was near the car when she backed up and he had to jump out of the way. According to Rosa, the neighbor said that the car was never within four feet of any of the officers hitting them. So so to, to trump that up to aggravated assault is nonsense. But to have a warrant issued because of the crimes that she did commit, despite regardless of circumstance, I don't have a problem with that as long as the missing persons report is happening at the same time. The issue that I have is they had to fight them for two weeks to get the missing persons report because of the warrant and because they were actively trying to stop them from getting a missing persons report out there. That's where I have the issue because those were critical moments. If you look at the maps and you look at the area up there, and and, not, and I'll get into with some of the further questions, but the, I have I have reason to believe that the, there there should have been a much wider search happening immediately, and they wait two weeks to do it. That's where my problem is. Well, you know, at some point they end up talking to a corrections officer who worked in that, and and he said they can run concurrently. Yeah. So they right. they purposely did not run them concurrently. Yeah. That, they they were they they never did drop the warrants. That's what happened. And you know, two weeks in, that correction officer told them that, um, yeah, they can run at the same time, and, and he helped push it through. Yeah. I said he. I don't know if it was a... I, th- I do I think, think it they was said he. it was a gentleman. Yeah. 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 
Brian and Lauren um, both thought to ask if there was police body cam footage. There is, and no one has been able to get it. Mm. So Rosa has seen, and Brittany, uh, uh, Kaylana's friend, have seen pictures that residents were taking of Kaylana in the car. There is body cam footage, and they filed a Freedom of, of Information Act request for it and didn't get it. That sounds like they filed multiple FOIAs, and they keep denying getting them. It's not a good sign for the police. Uh, I can't remember. I I uh, apologize. I cannot. Gabby, maybe somebody in the chat will remind me, but there, there's, a, there's a reporter in Harris County uh, that just ran a story like a couple days before our story on it, but she threw through the news agency has also requested the body cam footage and they won't release it. And that's why there's like, there is this little thing where like, it, it's hard to trust the police. Like, like what Rosa said about where they busted the window. Yeah. The neighbor said she was just sitting there in her car, locking the doors and they busted the window out. Again, she thought that meant at the driveway, maybe it was through the fence, but then the report says she'd already busted through two fences at that point. The way she put it on the phone to me, she's like, probably right. I mean, we, we talked about it. I was like, well, it makes sense because they use a two by four. But at the same time, she's having a hard time believing them because they won't show them the, the footage. They won't show them the body cam footage. Gabby Hart. Gabby Hart. That's right. Yep. Thank you. Melissa says, assuming law enforcement did a search of the car, did they find anything apart from prescription drugs? They did search the far car and found nothing. No weapons, no drugs, no nothing. Trixie would like to know if you'll be posting the charging document. Yeah, it's already posted. All the, the charging document and a bunch of photos and posters are up on the website. Kristen says, have there been other missing young women in this area? I haven't seen any. I saw that question and I tried to do a search for missing and, and tomball and everything. I, I hadn't seen anything for just from just a, a very short kind of Google search for me. So as, as, as far as I know, there's not. Okay. Bridget had a question about just kind of making sure that um, all local law enforcement jurisdictions like are, are communicating with each other and kind of staying updated on what's going on. It sounds like it. So, so the incident began in Harris County, that Creek that um, Kaylana crossed after the car got stuck, that uh, other side of that Creek is Montgomery County. They were made aware of it, but not for, I believe weeks later. And that's another frustrating thing. Like, you know, the, whatever search they did for her, rather than notifying the county that they were in, they did it themselves. And maybe Montgomery County might have handled it differently. Right. But I believe, you know, we've got Texas Rangers, we've got Montgomery County, we've got Harris County. So I, I believe everybody is at least communicating now. And, and, and now she's actually listed in Harris County's top 20 fugitives right now. Okay. The Crime Stoppers reward. Well, when stuff like this happens and you do have the sort of like feeling of a sliding scale on how much or how little you can trust law enforcement, when you start to see them maybe twisting the truth in some ways, um, when something tragic like this happens, I think it's very natural for certain people to, you know, let their brain think of a worst case scenario as pertains to law enforcement. Like, could they have found her? Could something have happened again, going to that furthest away place of could she have been harmed? by police and is this something that they you know would be trying to cover up like the, that sort of extreme i would hate to speculate on that only and i'm not saying that's impossible but all i guess my only response to that would be at this point we don't have any evidence to indicate that that's the case and i certainly hope that's not the case yeah teresa has a bunch of great questions about um searchable things like um 
What, if any, information has been secured about her cell phone use? Uh, Does her car have any navigation or GPS? Did Kailana have a watch or other piece of equipment that tracks GPS or her health status? Great questions. I asked about the, she, she didn't wear a watch or anything that tracked her health status, nothing with GPS. Her phone was there in the car. So you know, it, it can only provide, the police have it and they have her records. The family does not, but you know, that'll only lead them to the point where she got out of the car and then she didn't have it with her anymore. Well, and it sounded as if it was dying before then. From, from what we know, yeah. the phone call that happened earlier where she said she was coming to Austin, she had 3%. And we don't know at what point in the night that happened. Right. Kristen says, do we know if drones were used to search? Yeah. So let me look here. So there, Kaylana's father got with somebody, a private, it's not like a private citizen, that brought a drone out within a couple of days afterwards and tried to search the area. They went down the creek, the way she put it searched the area with the drone didn't see anything and then they also had underwater drones that went through the creek to see if there was anything to be found there nothing was found in either instance and right now i don't know in that area being that far south in texas if there's ever a time where there's no foliage on the trees uh maybe some courtney or somebody in chat can because you know i i always think like here in michigan like all happened in march you'd be able to see pretty well because there's no the the trees are barren um but i don't I, i guessing that's not the case that far south in texas yeah i mean there are certain trees that 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 are deciduous and there are some that aren't so i mean i'm just thinking of the time i've spent which is not not that close to houston it's more close to san antonio but oh, that's right you used to live in texas uh, well i just go there all the time because i have family there but um crystal says have all the homeless camps and areas been checked anywhere close just to sort of go through if somebody has a break with reality a psychotic break however you want to you know if if there is some kind of amnesia behavior happening. Have those kinds of areas been uh, checked? I don't know. And that's something that I will mention to, to Rosa. The thing is where this is, it would take a vehicle to get her there. So, so Tomball where this, where this happened is way outside of Houston, you know? So like it, it's miles back, even back into Tomball, which is a small town and, and much further before you get into Houston, where you might expect to see some of that. Um, so I don't know, but I, I, I'll ask. Our, our local says, always has leaves and lots of underbrush, and there's literally a tree farm across the street. Mm. Oh, yep. Solomon says, what searches have been done in Montgomery County? Um, there's, there's been several. Uh, Texas EquiSearch, once they, once they were able to help, have conducted a few searches of the area. Uh, but they said it's th- those woods there. If anybody, I need to post it on the main. By the time this drops, I'll have it posted on the main Truth and Justice page. I think I just posted it on the fan page. But one of the neighbors that was there for the whole event and actually followed the police on foot down to the car, tracked with the GPS the, were, and, and made a map of everywhere Kaylana went, where you see where she's parked, where she drove down to, oh, okay. uh, where, the, where it was blocked. Uh, then she drives back. So if you're looking at that map on our on any of our social media, the white dotted line is you see where she's parked. She drives up, turns a corner, gets blocked, drives back, and then it shows where she went through the fences, where she went through the pasture, and then where the car stopped. And then there's a red dotted line where she traveled on. They they know she traveled on foot after that instance. And from that location, you have dead ahead. There's a how a, a farm a house and barns now buildings and then decker prairie rose hill road and and to the left you'll hit the road even faster 
to the right, if you veered off to the right, it just goes into acres and acres and acres and acres of just forest. Mm. And it sounds like from Equisearch, they just, I, I was told they just did another search out there this, uh, this Sunday, I believe. And they, but they said it's, it's extremely thick underbrush, very hard to navigate. So it's really difficult to, to search the whole area, but they've, they've searched those woods on several occasions from what I understand. But also really difficult to navigate if you are a person barefoot. I mean, we're not talking about an abduction here that we know of, right? So like, right. it's hard. It's also hard to imagine being a person who is clambering through that to some great degree, deep, deep, deep into the undergrowth as well, right? Yeah. And, and I guess I, I don't remember there's a question, and so I may be stepping on a question that's coming up, but this is a good point, time to point out. So that morning, once the, once the police found her car, they brought in a dog to trail her scent. The dog trailed her scent over, there's like a log across the creek where she crossed the creek, over the creek, and then up to where the house is. If you look on that map, you see a house and a barn. They trailed her up to like that house and barn, which is right on Decker Prairie Rose Hill Road, and then they lost the scent. And then a few days, the next day, Texas Equisearch came before they were told they couldn't because there was no missing persons report. They ran a dog and their dog tracked to the same place. And the reason I point that out is, is now that I have a better understanding of the map of the location and where both dogs tracked her to, if those dogs were on her track and got it right, I think there is a distinct possibility that someone picked her up. I was at first relieved to see, because my fear was, if she veered off to the right and went into those woods, finding her alive at this point, as sad as this is to say, is probably pretty highly unlikely. I mean, it's, it's been obviously months. She's not equipped to live out there for months, much less days. And as you said, traversing that barefoot in the thick brambles and everything, it just seems extremely unlikely. But it looks like she went the other way. And... Uh, somebody asked in the chat if the house was searched. Yeah, that was it, you call it, Rosa talked about it a little bit that the police directed her because they had trailed her up to there to that address. And Rosa and her husband went to that address and the landowner let them go in and search all their buildings and look for her and look around the property. And they didn't find anything. It sounds like those people have been more than cooperative in helping uh, and allowing them to search their their premises. But they just haven't found anything. You know, to me, it seems like if this was a recovery effort, if she was in the woods, it seems like she wouldn't be that hard to find based on the fact that she had a bright pink dress on that is visually foreign from what is in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your eye is going to be attracted to that pretty quickly. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, too. And it's and also I just think of what Janet said. I try to I wish I could go out there and, and, you know, there's. It's not the same thing, but I've spent a lot of time tracking animals in the woods. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's a certain, a lot of it has to do with visual and then a lot of it has to do with feel. You know, there's times where you're just, you know, you, you don't have any sign. And so you can kind of get down, kind of crouch down and look and put yourself in the mind. And you'd be shocked how often this works where, you know, you put yourself in the mindset, okay, this is what I see. Where am I going to go? Where's the path of least resistance? Would I go this direction? And you could kind of, I, th- I think you could kind of narrow down what direction of travel you would go into those woods and then how far into the woods would you continue going? Now, she was you know, uh, almost certainly having some kind of a mental break, 
So it's hard to like think logically, but if you think instinctually, you know, where someone might go and what they might do, it would, it, it, like Zach said, it just seems like I I don't think she would get very far. And I think that she would stick out. And I personally am very much leaning towards, I think that she got picked up. I, I, I don't think she would go, if the dogs were right, I don't think she would go across that field to the barn, to the house, right there to the road, and then turn around and run into the woods. Mm-hmm. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. It would make more sense to me if she would flag down a car and get a ride. And Teresa also asked if there were any Ring or, or um, Google home camera, you know, if there was home camera footage. Uh, and then I saw that Candy did reply. It sounds like um, on the Facebook page that, that that there was discussion of, yes, there there is some private footage uh, and it, maybe the family has seen something, but I don't know. They have. So the, the house where she was singing, those people have, uh, and I believe the first place she went as well, but for sure. The house where she was singing and saying, I love everybody and all that, they have ring video of that and they have shown that to Rosa and the family. So that that, that does exist and they have seen it, but it hasn't been released publicly. And Christy says, have landowners in that area given access for a search or are they reluctant due to the initial narrative? I believe so, because I the the, the property, those woods are it's private property. And uh, I was sent, Rosa sent me a map today that Equisearch sent her to show her where they searched, and they were searching in those woods. So the, someone must have given them permission. Heather has a bunch of questions that um, suggest that she's maybe familiar with the area uh, from that area as well. But So there's a few different things here. Have there been discussion uh, in regards to trains? There's an active cargo train line that runs somewhat adjacent to 290, and Heather even put a map on the Facebook page. And is calling out some like a, a specific zip code. So I, I, I rather than go through all of this here, I don't know. So it, it gets pretty specific, but maybe that's something that has already been addressed or could be shared with a family. Some of these very specific, like this zip code hasn't been called out where Cypress runs into Tomball Magnolia. There's a lot of forest, um, unpopulated neighborhoods, but there is a northern end that's rural. Um, and then Heather finishes all of these thoughts with. Mentioning that, she says, unfortunately, sex trafficking of individuals is a huge problem in Houston and all surrounding areas. Has there been any research done in regards to this possibility? First of all, she's, she's talking about some zip codes and some areas. I would encourage all of you to go to the Texas EquiSearch Facebook page. And they, on Monday evening of this week, put out a video uh, with Rose's father, uh, who's, who's asking for help. And he's listing areas where they're asking people to search their outbuildings, to search the woods, and he's giving zip codes. So I would go find that video on the Texas EquiSearch Facebook page of Mr. Calhoun giving all of that information. As far as, as, far as the trains, I'll run that by him. Um, I don't know. I'm not familiar enough with the area, and I didn't see the post to see where the train line is. And if it's an area where a train might be stopped, like if there's a station or something where someone could hop onto a car or something. As far as the sex trafficking, Rosa did tell me today that I believe it was through the Texas Rangers, but somehow somehow law enforcement has run K um, Alana's face through facial recognition software, 
and I don't know exactly what that means, but they they search all kinds of databases to see if she's popped up anywhere and she hasn't. But and then they also checked sex trafficking sites to see if she had popped up on any of those, and she hasn't. And I, I don't know what that means either. Like if they if they know these sites exist and they monitor them or how they do it, but they they did tell her that they checked and she has not shown up on any sex trafficking sites. Teresa says, based on what her mom shared, it appears this trip she took didn't seem planned or communicated to others. Do we know why she decided to go visit this friend? Did she go regularly to see this friend or take shorter road trips alone? So I I don't know how normal it is for her to make trips. I know, but what I do know is that this trip wasn't normal. It's abnormal for her to just take off and not tell anybody on a whim like the, you know, where she, you know, just all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm on my way to Austin when, when people were looking for her. It seems clear that something was going on with her that night, and this trip was abnormal. I don't know if it's a normal thing for her to go visit these people in, in Austin, but everything about this trip is abnormal. One of the cases that this reminds me of is Maitrice Richardson, and I don't know if anyone, if you guys are familiar with it or if anyone in the chat is, but it's a Southern California case of a young woman who had um, what I would characterize to be a similar mental episode and was arrested in in Malibu, in the Malibu area, and was released even though she was not in a state in which she should have ever been released. And despite the officers promising her mom that they would keep her safe and keep her there. And that would that. So there's the, the idea of this being a thing that can absolutely happen to people and lead them to places they wouldn't normally go and lead them to some of this erratic behavior. I just I don't even know if it's that uncommon. You know, I think that the outcomes are often ideally better than something like this, but it it does happen. And I think that's, you know, that takes us to, you know, folks like like Lauren who say, do police go through training to recognize somebody in the midst of a mental health crisis and what can be done to start requiring that kind of training? It reminds me of Dr. Scott and the work that he does with the police force, like having that health, that mental health professional who's helping to read the situation as it's developing. There is training for that. I don't know how much training there is for it or how common it is in smaller communities. But again, this, this one was a little, a little bit different. I I don't, maybe there is training that could, that could have signaled to the police that maybe something's going on here. In my opinion, they should approach any nonviolent situation far more gently anyway. And that may have prevented this. And, and again, as, as I've said, like I get like things happen quick. It goes from, hey, there's somebody in a driveway to now she's taking off and barreling through fences and stuff. And also now we're chasing her. But despite whether or not they knew or should have known or could have known that maybe there was a medical or a mental situation happening here, just approaching nonviolent situations with a gentler touch would make a huge difference. You know, if they just pulled up, they, they didn't need to have their lights on. She parked in a driveway. You know, I, I used to teach emergency operations vehicle, emergency vehicle operations training, which means how, how you drive cars with lights and sirens. I taught that course to police officers and firefighters for years. The purpose for the lights and sirens are to notify people that you are, that you're, you're, you're maybe, you're supposed to still operate within due regard of safety in the law. But to notify people that I may be running a stop line, a stop sign. I may be running through a red light. I, I need you to get out of my way so I can hurry up and get somewhere. There was no immediacy here. 
There was no reason. I would have trained all of my firefighters in a situation like that. To me, this is the same as if someone calls the fire department with a burning complaint, which happens, you know, people don't know this. They think they're always just, you know, kicking down doors and rescuing people. But a lot of calls you get are, my neighbor's burning leaves and it stinks. Can you make them stop? So it's just a nuisance call. You don't turn your lights and your sirens on for a lot of reasons. One, because it's not necessary. And two, because you don't want to escalate the situation. So just pull up and walk out. Be calm, be kind, handle the situation so you don't escalate things. There's no reason they needed to have lights on there. Imagine if they had just pulled up to the scene with their lights off and knocked on the window and just said, hey, ma'am, are are you doing okay? Are you feeling all right? How differently this thing could have gone. Yeah. Well, you brought it up earlier, um, requests for searches, volunteers, anything like that, Texas EquiSearch, um, people certainly asking as we move into kind of our process and ways in which the truth and justice listener can lis- uh, can help out um, people saying, is, are, are there requests for volunteers for organized searches? People are asking about, I know Kristen asked about the FBI. Is there any question about whether they would get involved in something like this? I don't think the FBI would have any jurisdiction here. And, you know, it would have to be a kidnapping. They would have to cross state lines. There's a lot of things that allow the FBI to come into an invest into an investigation i don't know that this would check those boxes maybe there's a deal if somebody like requested it from harris county or montgomery county uh, i'm sorry what was the first the part other of one was question? uh just people wanting to know how they oh, can help sir, how yeah. if, if the people that that are on the ground in that area can help right now they're asking for anyone from the area to get a hold of anyone landowners social media is a powerful tool here to ask people, go out, check your outbuildings, check check the landowners. And then I would ask that anyone with any, it, it doesn't even have to be in Harris County or even in Texas. I truly think that she probably got picked up by somebody. Mm-hmm. I just, and that's a, oh, such a hard thing to say because part of me is like, I hope that's the case because that's the, that's the scenario where I think we could find her alive. It's also the scenario that, that could lead to a lot of other ugly things that I don't even want to think about, but posting her flyer, posting her story, posting the episode of our podcast for people to listen to this story. And, you know, that's one thing that's very important to Rosa and Kaylana's family. One is for people to understand what really happened here. So that's part of it, but also to have people on high alert looking for her, go through our website and look at all the pictures of Kaylana and and post those, post the posters as far as searches go, as so far, they have not asked for organized searches. So EquiSearch, you know, we, we dealt with last week, Illinois EquiSearch, or it was the Ohio EquiSearch that came to um, Josh Amos's search party last week. They wanted a ton of volunteers so they could really spread out and do a large grid search. It sounds like Texas EquiSearch, I don't know if it's just this instance or in general from what Rosa said. That they keep telling her that they don't, they have very highly trained people that work with them to do this kind of thing, and they don't want a bunch of random volunteers participating in searches. That may change, and we'll let you know if it does. But as of right now, Texas EquiSearch is, do, is handling the search efforts. And what they're asking for is for people to pass out flyers, share on social media. If you know anybody in any of those zip codes, any of those areas uh, that were mentioned in that video on the Texas EquiSearch page uh, with Kayla and his father, share that information and get try to get local people looking. Kristen mentioned the idea of a billboard maybe near the highway where she was suspected of heading 
I thought that was a really interesting idea. Um, obviously, that's a, a way that people would be, I'm sure, willing to contribute funds and so forth. Yeah, that's something I'll, I'll get a hold of Rosa and see if that's something that they're interested in doing. The thing is, if Kailana was picked up by somebody, if that's the scenario that we're dealing with, if the dogs were right, they tracked her right up to the road, then her scent disappears. That seems to be a pretty distinct possibility. I don't think if that person had harming her in mind, I don't think that person is going to be like, oh, well, they're looking for her. Well, here she is four months later. But what I think is very possible is that if that's the case, that that person knows someone, someone, their spouse, their friends, their family, either know that they have somebody with them or know that they were acting strange or know that they were in that area around that time that night that it may trigger in someone. So please, particularly in Texas, but anywhere around the United United States, share this and let's see if we can get some information from somewhere because the local searches don't seem to be turning anything up. Well, I even saw a comment from someone who said, I don't live very far away from this and Truth and Justice is the first place I heard about it. So even yeah. that, you know, if there was a billboard, Maybe someone did see something. Maybe someone saw something at a gas station. Maybe someone saw a girl in a car and didn't know that it meant anything. You know what I mean? In a pink dress. Exactly. Remember, pink dress, pink dress, barefoot, pink dress. Exactly. Crystal's also wondering if if, if we can do anything to help um, apply any pressure or enthusiasm toward local media to, again, get help get the word out that way. Um, And likewise, any additional involvement from non-Harris police in terms of how they're communicating this um, search and all of that. I would love to see thousands of you gently, kindly, and respectfully try to, you know, tag news outlets. You can try law enforcement, tread lightly. Mm. They're just, they're, they don't seem to give a shit when people are are pushing. The, The fact that Harris County hasn't put her out as a missing person's Somebody had mentioned that like the Tomball Police Department has a Facebook page mm-hmm. where they will put out like missing persons cases. Maybe tag them, ask them. But again, don't come at them being a jerk. But if you come at them, say, listen, there's more to this story. Will you please post her missing persons? Will you please help us get the word out so we can try to find her? Keyword respectfully. Yes, very much so. I really think that is that is an important thing that we can do to help get the word out. We just need to get more people looking for her. Like, like Zach said, he was talking about in the woods, but in the same circumstance, you know, you mentioned like if somebody saw somebody at the gas station or whatever. We are lucky in the fact that Kailana was wearing a very distinct piece of clothing. She was wearing a long, bright pink dress, and she was barefoot. And if we get her picture out, there may be somebody that remembers that they saw her. It, even if it's just like to give us a direction, you know, why, why Texas Equisearch is searching in those woods. If we get a credible sighting that, no, we saw her south of Houston in, in a semi-truck, then we know that she left that area and we can, we can adjust the search. Right. And yes, uh, Lilius, there's a, there is a, a missing person flyer. That Rosa, I believe, created in addition to what Equisearch has out there. I've seen a few different things that are are pretty shareable that have multiple photos of Kealana. I did see someone posted in our Facebook. They were talking about the the Harris County missing persons post and pointed out the picture that they chose of Kealana. And 
it was really it almost felt like a (laughs) sort of felt like a joke. Like they picked it. You really see it like, oh, you've picked a a photo that sort of helps support your rendering of what happened. You sort of picked a photo where she maybe looks like she's fake angry or being a little, you know, saucy. It's like, you know, it's a great photo, but like she's frowning. And just I really had a moment. I shared that moment with that Facebook post, uh, that poster going, wow, okay. Really feels like you're still selling your, your, you're really painting this however you want to. The photo on the Crime Stoppers post is a post where she has braces and short hair. Kaylana has been out of braces for four years. And I asked Rosa today, I'm like, where did they get that picture? And she thought maybe it's her driver's license picture. She doesn't like, we don't know. She doesn't know where they got that picture. But yeah, she's like smiling, a big smile with a mouthful of braces. That's useless. If people think they're looking for this girl with short hair with braces, that's not who they're looking for. Yeah. And and to answer your question, if you go to our website, truthandjusticepod.com, click on Case Docs, Season 13, Texas, you'll find her her folder. It's full of pictures of Kaylana and missing persons posters that you can grab and, and share. Okay. Joel mentions being, you know, so far away from Texas, being in Minnesota. Wondering if it'd be helpful to share information about Josh, about Kaylana, and future cases with his local police department, state patrol, or other Minnesota agencies. Just wondering if, you know, th- that, that would be helpful in spreading the word, even though folks are further away from some of these disappearance locations. It certainly can't hurt. Yeah. And I would hope that, again, if you're respectfully, you know, if you contact your local law enforcement and say, hey, there's this case. I know it's far, far away. They could really be anywhere. Who knows what they'll do with that information, but it can't hurt. Yeah. Okay. I think that's all we have. Everything has kind of been addressed in one form or another uh, somewhere in the conversation and a lot of really great engagement from listeners this week for this very difficult case. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for all. I know this is new and it's a new format and every every case every week is going to be different, but you guys have come come through. I can see on the number like... Everybody's still listening. Either everybody's still listening or the people that stopped got replaced by other people listening. Um, but that means a lot to, you know, when, when we're doing something very different and we're trying to do it for the right reasons and to help people, it means the world to to me and Janet and Zach that you guys are are showing up and actively helping. And I really want to see us really take to social media on this one and and spread the word far and wide and see, you know, there was, I, I really, until today, I really had in my mind that. Kaylana was probably in those woods somewhere and felt very defeated. And after speaking to Rosa today and realizing that two different tracking dogs tracked her out near that road, I have a, I have a very different viewpoint on it now. And I, I really think there's a chance that she could be out there somewhere. Yeah. Not where anyone's looking somewhere else. And, and one other thing that I saw, I don't remember if it was in this post or in the, in the follow-up thread or somebody just posted it. But a couple of people were asking, they were, they were a little confused about, I said that she, her footprint stopped when she crossed the creek and what the area looked like. I think I described pretty well what the area looked like, how if you go forward, there's a house a ways up right. there and then to the left is the road, to the right is the wood. The footprints were where her car was stuck in the mud. There's that creek and there was a log across the creek. In the mud on the other side of the creek, they found her a couple, either one or a couple of her footprints there, her bare footprints in the mud. So that's how they knew that she had crossed over to the other side was because of that footprint on the other side. Right. And with that said, 
thank you everybody again from the bottom of our hearts for all of your support. It means the world to us. I know it means the world to Rosa. She's she's such a sweet woman and she's doing everything she can to try to find her daughter and and to change the narrative about her daughter to the truth. That and remember we're still looking for Josh Amos in Illinois. So let's not if you're in that area, let's not lose lose sight of that. We've got another case coming up here in two days on Sunday. A little different. I I, I feel like this one I just finished editing that interview. It's not it's not as much of a tearjerker, It'll give you a little bit of an emotional break, but equally as perplexing of a case and another family that needs our help. So that'll be coming up on Sunday. And with that, we will let you all go. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Make sure you tune in on Sunday. We love you guys. Thanks, everybody. Bye, guys. is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInASong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com Design Created manages and maintains our website Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kaywood Yomnick, and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truthandjustice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review doesn't cost you a penny and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible if you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering you can submit your cases on our website truthandjusticepod.com just click on the case submission button and fill out the form and the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations you can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com you can like our facebook page follow us on instagram or join in on the conversation on the truth and justice podcast fans page for all of you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth, Janet can be found at Janet Varney, and Zach is at Z to the Q. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. Is this recording. on? I'm recording. Am I on Zoom? Viola, Viola. Is this you, the internet? Listen, you're Hello? so sweet, Viola, but we just need Janet. We need Janet. To, have you seen okay. Janet? Hey, guys, I'm back. What happened? I blacked out for a second. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I am recording, so I'm ready to Me clap too. at any time. One, two, three. Ooh, that was a good one. Ahoy, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. I'm Zach Weaver, and I'm joined by the usual suspects, Bob and Janet. How you guys doing? Good.
I don't like that. No. <laughs> Good. Don't like it. Nope. <laughs> nope. All right. Here we go. I'm joined by the usual suspects, Bob and Janet. How you doing, my friends? Nope. Don't like that either. Here's the thing. Uh, you're going to say, I'm joined by Bob and Janet. And then I'll just come in and start talking. I'm joined by Bob and Janet. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't care for that either. But <laughs> Here we go. And today I'm joined by Bob and Janet. Yeah, I'll use one of those. Uh, I liked mine if you guys would have just said how you're doing so we could have like a conversation like adults. 